after enduring what has been called the worst known case of parental alienation and the most corrupt family court case in the history of Texas, Wendy became motivated to break the silence about parental alienation. She started with hosting monthly parental alienation support group meetings in 2011. Since then, she has also hosted various parental alienation awareness and educational events attended by hundreds of people from all over the world. Her divorce story was featured in the critically acclaimed documentary Divorce Corp that showed the inner workings of the $50 billion a year US family law industry and the wasteful practices seen in the family courts across the United States. Nowadays, Wendy hosts private online parental alienation support group that have members from all over the world. Her private support groups include live support meetings that focuses on helping target parents and grandparents to live their best lives even though they are affected by parental alienation. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to remind everyone to visit findmyparent.org and check out the latest version of the AI tool designed from ground up to find and reconnect with your lost parent or children. If you know someone in your family or your friend circle who are looking to do the same, you can recommend it to them or you can do it for them as well. All you have to do is input your details and the details of the person you are looking for. All information submitted through the platform will be secure and confidential, so you do not have to worry about your privacy. Once you're done with the submission, the AI algorithm will search through all the other entries within the platform and try to find a match. If a potential match or a link is found, you will get a notification with their contact information. Do test it out and let us know what you think about it. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Wendy Perry. Hi, Wendy. First of all, thank you for taking your time to do this podcast with us. I was very interested to speak with you, mainly because your situation was a lot different than what I normally hear. You experienced parental alienation even after you got a 50-50 joint custody from the United States Family Court. Now, before we get into that, can you explain a bit about how did you get into that? I understand from your blog that you experienced parental alienation after your divorce. But can you explain a bit more about what happened? Especially how you ended up hosting all the support groups for people all over the world. Our divorce was fairly amicable. I think like most divorces, we were not really happy with each other and we were not feeling too fond about each other, but we worked out a really good custody schedule. We agreed to do 50-50 equal parenting time. And for a few years, it worked well. It was not a problem. There were alienating behaviors, but at that time, I didn't know anything at all about parental alienation. So for a few years, I just thought that the other parent was difficult. And I thought that he just did strange things that sometimes 
interfered with my time, but I had no idea that a few years after that, that we would be dealing with actual parental alienation. And like most people, even after the alienation was really severe, I still didn't know there was a name for it. And I still didn't understand what was happening. And as far as when I realized that it was this thing called parental alienation, that was after uh, one of my three kids had been withheld from me for a whole year. Um, Her dad had violated the court-ordered custody schedule 16 times. And at that time, she was very severely brainwashed. And she was calling me by my first name, telling me that she hated me. She never wanted to see me again. And she was saying really strange things like, you know what you did. And I hadn't done anything. She and I had always been very, very, very close. So it was after about a year of that that a friend of mine said the words parental alienation to me. And I thought my friend made it up. And I thought my friend was a genius. <laughs> she said, parental alienation. And I said, yeah, that, that, that describes what I'm going through. That's, you named it. And she said, no, I didn't name it as a thing. She said, look it up on the internet. And so that evening, I went home and got on Google and put in parental alienation and found all of this information. And my mind was blown that there was this horrific form of abuse that is an epidemic around the world and that it was so unknown. This had been happening to me, a really severe case for a year. And I had no idea about this at all. And in fact, up until that point, I thought that something was wrong with my daughter. I thought something was just wrong with her. I didn't realize that something was being done to her. So learning about parental alienation and the fact that, like I said, it's a, it's a worldwide epidemic and no one was talking about it that was not okay with me. I, that blew my mind. I thought that was so wrong. And I thought we talk about all other forms of abuse. We talk about elder abuse. We talk about financial abuse. We talk about medical abuse. We talk about domestic violence, all of those things. But we don't talk about this form of abuse that is so common. So I started while I was going to court, going through this horrible process, I thought, you know, I really want to make a difference. I just couldn't get it out of my mind that there was this abuse that was so prevalent and so common and that most people didn't even know about it. And so that's when I started doing some advocating And uh, the area that I started in was to have support group meetings because there really wasn't anything at that time. 
there weren't support group meetings. And that was about 11 years ago. So as far as, um, you know, Facebook and things like that, all of that was kind of new still at that time. And so there weren't even a, a lot of online resources. So I started holding local support group meetings in my area. And we were very uh, old school with it. We actually went around hanging flyers on bulletin boards all over town. At that first meeting, we had people, uh, the room was full. And we had some people drive as far as five hours one way just to come to that first support meeting. I was in shock. And I, I remember it was summer and it was very, very, very hot. And this lady, she looked very hot. <laughs> and uh, I asked her where she came from. And she said, I drove five hours to get here and I don't have air conditioning in my car. She said, and I'm going to drive five hours to go back home. And it just showed me what a need there was. And that's what she said. She said, this, I'm so desperate for support and help. I've never heard of any support for this. And she said, I would drive as long as it took to get to a meeting like this. And so then those meetings just continued for years and years and years. And we still have some in-person support meetings sometimes, but most of our meetings now are done online. I think in-person is still really important. There's something about getting together with people in person face-to-face that you can't get through any online experience. However, doing online meetings, we have the ability to have people from all over the world in our support group meetings. And we do. Um, Right now, I'm running several private parental alienation support groups. And we've got people from all over the world in our support group meetings. And it's wonderful. It's really supportive. It really is. It's very uplifting to people. And uh, it gives them the compassion and understanding that they might not have otherwise in their lives because unfortunately there's still a lot of people who don't know about parental alienation or maybe they've heard of it, but they don't understand it. So uh, to this day, I do several things in the area of parental alienation work, but to this day, I still feel like support group meetings are one of the most um, rewarding things to do because there's, there's such a need for it. And being in a good support group can really, truly make a difference. I've seen parents who have turned around their whole outlook and they've come out of depressions and maybe they were thinking of giving up, but being in a good support group gave them the encouragement and motivation to to keep trying. And we've even had quite a few parents reunify with their kids because of things that they've learned in support groups. So I think anyone listening, if you are an alienated parent um, or grandparent, we also have quite a few grandparents and we've got some aunts and uncles. If you are an alienated family member, one thing that is really, really important to do is to get into a good support group. Right. I would love to get deeper into your story if that is okay with you. Can you talk about any early signs that you noticed with your kids and how did those signs escalate? Yeah, um, I'm happy to share 
the earliest signs. And I think it's really important to share the earliest signs because what we really want to work on is prevention. It's great that we've got support groups now um, for people who are already alienated. But what I'd really like to see us start to focus on is preventing this from happening. And so if we can share any information about the early signs that might help someone to prevent full-blown parental alienation, I think that's very, very important. So my kids, I've got three children. And at that time, when it was the very, very beginning of alienating behaviors, my kids were, um, one was in elementary school and one was in middle school and one was in high school. So, you know, preteens and teenagers. What started happening, one of the very first things that I, I remember was that my ex would interfere in our time together, but it wasn't really blatant. But there were constant interruptions and constant moments of interference. Uh, I'll give you an example. I would go to pick the kids up and I would bring them back to my house. And then he would call me and he would say, they didn't clean their rooms. You need to bring them back to my house to clean their rooms. I said, you want me to bring them back to your house to clean their rooms? Why didn't you make sure they clean their rooms before they came to my house for their time with me? Well, I told them to do it, but they didn't. So you need to bring them back here. I just thought it was incredibly weird and rude and annoying. I didn't have any clue, and I wouldn't for a very, very long time, that that was a strange form of interrupting and interfering with our time. I was firm on I was firm on that and I said no I'm not going to bring them back to clean their rooms. You've got to have them clean their own rooms when they're there. But it was little things like that. It was constant interruptions, scheduling things during scheduling things for the kids during their time with me. It it really just escalated. It was just more and more and more and more and more of that. What I didn't know behind the scenes was that Uh, One of the kids in particular, she was being brainwashed to hate me and to the the stage was being set for her to not see me anymore. And so it was actually very shocking to me when all of a sudden she said she wasn't going to come and be with me anymore. I really did not see that coming. Up until that point, I just thought that these interferences and interruptions were just really strange and really annoying, but I didn't realize that these were early signs of what could be a huge problem. How about your husband or your ex-husband? Was there any alienating behavior even before the divorce? There were a few alienating behaviors before the divorce. There were a few alienating behaviors while we were still married to each other. And that's really common. But again, I thought that he was just being strange. And I didn't realize that those were alienating behaviors. So I'll give you a real life example. Uh, One morning, it was a Sunday morning, he... uh, was secretly getting the kids ready to go to getting the kids ready to go to church. They were all being really, really, really quiet and kind of hiding 
it was very strange. And I said, what, what are you guys doing? And one of the kids said, well, we're, we're getting ready to go to church. And I said, what do you mean you're getting ready to go to church? I and mean, we hadn't talked about that. Uh, this child said, well, dad said, we have to keep it a secret from you. We're, we're going without you. And I thought, gosh, that is so bizarre. Um, things like that. And then after we got a divorce, uh, my ex started a smear campaign against me. And one of the places where he did that was at our church. Um, he went to the pastors and had a meeting with them and uh, told them lies. And so he was really setting the stage for some of these things, like him and the kids going to church. And and I'm not there. I don't go to church because one of the things that people are told about me, one of the lies that people are told is that I abandoned our kids. And people people believe it. So you know, a lot of times alienators, they will start to slowly, gradually set that stage. So it probably did appear to some people that I abandoned the kids, that I wasn't present. Um, But I was very, very close to the kids and always very, very involved in their lives. You ask me, when did parental alienation really escalate? When did it become really obvious that there was a serious problem and not just a few weird, annoying behaviors. And in our situation, the alienating behaviors greatly escalated when my ex-husband got remarried. When the new uh, step-parent came into the picture was when the alienation really, really became apparent. and a huge problem. And I want to let everyone know that Dr. Richard Warshak has an article about that, about how sometimes when someone gets remarried, um, that that can be a trigger to parental alienation. So if anyone is dealing with that, I would encourage them to look up Dr. Dr. Richard Warshak's article on remarriage as a parental alienation trigger. Right. This brings me to my next question. Based on your own experience and the people that you have helped through your support groups, what are some of the main reasons behind why a parent might decide to alienate the other parent? Also, can you share a bit more about Dr. Warshak's article that you just mentioned and how remarriage can trigger alienating behaviors too? There can be several different reasons why remarriage can be a trigger to parental alienation. And I'll I'll share with you a few of the ideas as to why a new marriage can trigger or escalate parental alienation. One thing is it can be due to mental illness or a personality disorder. We, in our parental alienation world, we tend to assume that all alienators are narcissists. We hear that a lot, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, They don't always have a personality disorder, but some of them do. And some of the really, really severe, what we call obsessed alienators do have personality disorders. Um, But it can also be that um, sometimes a new step-parent 
is actually the head alienator, if you will. So perhaps your ex is actually a very passive person and not very good at boundaries and standing up for themselves. And maybe the new step parent actually holds that hierarchy, if you will, in the parental alienation cult, as we call it. So the alienation could actually be really driven by that new step parent. And perhaps the other parent does not have the strength to stand up to that new step parent. So there can be different situations. It could be jealousy. Um, In some cases, there is actual narcissistic personality disorder. And when you have someone who's got narcissistic personality disorder, they must appear to be perfect to everyone. That is that is absolutely uh, essential to a narcissist is they have to appear to be perfect. And so if they perceive that the other parent being in the picture causes them to look imperfect, then they're going to want to try to get rid of that other parent. And parental alienation is what we're talking about as their way of doing that. So there can be there can be different reasons why getting remarried can be a trigger to parental alienation. Based on what I read on your blog articles and listen on your videos and podcast, I realize something really interesting about your situation where you have some of your children who were alienated from you, but some didn't. Can you explain a bit about that dynamics before we get deeper into that? Yeah. So I have three children and I was alienated from two of my three children and I've never been alienated from one of my kids. I'm reunified with one of my children, but I'm still alienated from another one. So I've been everywhere that someone can possibly be on the journey of parental alienation. So one of my kids, I was never, ever alienated from. I always was and still am very, very close to him. And then with my other two, I was alienated from both of them, but I've reunified with one and I'm still alienated from the other. That might sound a little unusual to people, but it's actually not uncommon for some children in a family to be alienated and others to not be alienated. We have quite a few people in our support groups who have got that situation where they're alienated from some of their kids, but not all of their kids. Um, And I think that that is, it's really hard on the siblings uh, because that's uh, a loyalty conflict with their sibling in addition to the stress of the situation. Um, My daughter that was the first child to be alienated from me, she became alienated when she was between 14 and 15 years old. And that seems to be an actually pretty common age for kids to become alienated. We hear that a lot in our support groups. But the first uh, things that I noticed from her was She just seemed to be a little different. (laughs) And I really thought that that was just normal teenage behavior. 
Uh, sometimes teenagers can be a little, you know, <laughs> a little different, a little strange. They're going through some major changes. Um, I really did not know what was happening to her when she was not with me. And the first real signs that I saw from her that there was a real problem was actually very, very, very sudden. Um, when she told me she was not going to come and be with me anymore. And she was not going to see me anymore. And I was blindsided by that. I did not see that coming. I really didn't. And unfortunately, that happens sometimes. Sometimes you don't know that it's happening. Some alienators are so covert. They are so sneaky. They're so good at hiding what they do that unfortunately for some people, you don't know what's going on until all of a sudden the kid won't see you anymore and tells you they hate you. They call you by your first name. They won't respond to your phone calls or your text messages. And that, that's how it was for us. I really didn't see any signs before all of a sudden her not coming to be with me and saying she never wanted to see me again. She never said anything negative to me before that. She never indicated that she had bad feelings towards me. Nothing. She and I were getting, getting along great. When she was met with me, she was happy. Um, but behind my back, she was being prepared to not see me and not speak with me anymore. And she shared all of that with me later after we reunified. Um, but unfortunately for some people, there are not a lot of early warning signs that are really obvious uh, because it is a, a hidden abuse. And uh, a lot of alienators hide it very, very well. And they don't only hide it really well, but uh, they are oftentimes very, very good at convincing people that there is a reason that it's justified that the child does not want to see the other parent. And, and that's very, very cruel. It's parental alienation is so cruel. It's cruel to the kids. It's cruel to the alienated parents and the grandparents and to all, the whole family. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's so well hidden that you don't know what is going on until all of a sudden your child says, I don't want to see you. I hate you. And that's, that's really, really, really a, a horrible moment that I, I can assure you alienated parents don't forget that moment. Yeah, I can only imagine how hurtful that should be. With that said, you mentioned that you are now reunified with some of your children. How did that happen? The first thing I did as soon as I learned about parental alienation, literally the very next day, I started calling attorneys <laughs> because it was so severe. I felt like I was not going to be able to get any remedy on this on my own. I had done as most alienated parents do. I had begged and pleaded with uh, the other parent to send her to me. I said, please, please just send her when you're supposed to, please. 
And uh, there was no way that he was going to do that. So literally the next day after I learned what parental alienation was on the internet, I started contacting attorneys and I hired an attorney and she was wonderful. And a lot of attorneys get a bad, (laughs) get a bad rap, but she was amazing. And I just can't say enough about what she did to help our family. So we went to court and uh, we had 50-50 equal custody. When we went to court, my attorney said to the judge that I wanted to just stay with 50-50 equal custody and just have my ex send our daughter to me when he was supposed to. And we, and we would drop the whole litigation. Um, I didn't want to go to court. I didn't want to go to litigation. I didn't want that at all. I just wanted him to send our daughter when he was supposed to. But he did not agree. And that led us into a very long uh, court battle, which is shown in a documentary called Divorce Court. So the first thing that happened was the judge said, you have to send your daughter when you are supposed to. You can't keep violating the court-ordered custody schedule. And so she came back to me, but it was done forcefully. She did not willingly come back to me. She had been so brainwashed at that point that she really, truly felt terrified to come back to be with me. Um, So it was done forcefully and it was really, really horrible, horrible situation. Um, But I prepared myself for that. And the way I prepared myself was to study as much as I could about parental alienation. I read books and I read uh, articles and there's one book in particular that really truly made a difference in our reunification. And that book is Breaking the Ties That Bind by Dr. Amy Baker. Uh, Breaking the Ties That Bind uh, is an amazing book. And when I read that book, that was what made me realize what my daughter was really going through and made me realize how I needed to act and react to her and interact with her. So I highly recommend to parents all the time to get that book. Now the title is Breaking the Ties that Bind Adult Children of Parental Alienation Syndrome. But I tell people, don't worry about the fact that the title is Adult Children of Parental Alienation Syndrome because it is relevant to alienated children of all ages. And so if you are dealing with an alienated child of any age, I highly recommend that book. So that was very, very, very important to our reunification. And it, it one of the things that it taught me is the importance of patience and unconditional love. And I have to stress the patience part 
because reunification is not all, you know, rainbows like people probably imagine it will be. It's very, very, very hard to do. And you have got to have so much patience to reunify with the child. And I would say that's probably the most important advice that I give parents when they're going through a reunification is patience. And if you're having trouble being patient, and if you are having trouble with your emotions, then those are things that you really, really must work on to get through a reunification because you're going to need to have the utmost patience and you're going to need to be able to manage your emotions around your child. Do you have any idea why some of your kids were resistant towards the gaslighting and all that and some were not? I think there can be several reasons why some kids are more resistant resistant to alienation than other kids. And as I said a little while ago, it's not uncommon for one child to be alienated in a family and another one to not be alienated in a family. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, we're all individuals and our kids are all different from each other. So one of your kids might be stronger emotionally than one of your other kids. Maybe one of your kids has got better developed critical thinking skills than another. So it could have a lot to do with their personality. But we've also found um, through our support group meetings over the years that a lot of alienators focus on one child at a time. A lot of times they'll focus on the oldest child and then they'll alienate that child and then they'll move on to another child. And what they'll usually do is they'll try to have the child who's already alienated help them alienate a sibling. So they'll usually just work on one at a time. And that is what happened in my situation was my ex really focused on one child at a time. And uh, it was attempted to alienate uh, my son from me. Uh, There definitely were, and there still are alienating behaviors, but it it never took hold. And I think that part of that was that um, I was already so super aware of alienation that uh, I was able to to prevent that from happening. But I think it has a lot to do with the kids' personalities. I think some are more resilient, some are stronger, some have got better critical thinking skills. I think it has a lot to do with their personalities. Right, right. I see what you mean. I always wondered what is the right way to negotiate with an alienator. Because I personally know some parents who have tried all sorts of ways to negotiate and still failed in doing so. Do you have any advice on going about negotiating with the other parent? Or is it even possible to negotiate in the first place? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. (laughs) Can you negotiate with an alienator? Well, I think that it depends on the alienator. there, there was a great, great parental alienation expert named Dr. Douglas Darnall, who recently passed away. But Dr. Darnall wrote about uh, naive alienators, intentional alienators, and obsessed alienators. And he talked about the difference between those. I think that you could possibly negotiate with a naive alienator. 
A naive alienator is someone who truly unintentionally, unknowingly is engaging in alienating behaviors. And I want to point out that when someone is going through a divorce, you're usually unhappy with each other. And there's some bitterness, maybe there's some anger. And so it's pretty normal for both people to engage in a few alienating behaviors in the beginning of a divorce or a separation. But then as they start to heal and move forward, hopefully they stop engaging in alienating behaviors. But sometimes those people don't. They don't stop and they just get into a very horrible habit of talking badly about the other parent or maybe they don't say anything bad, but they roll their eyes when the other parent is mentioned. You know, their body language implies that the other parent is not worthy of love or respect. So I think that you could possibly negotiate with a naive alienator. And I have given presentations where people have come up to me afterwards and said, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm an alienator. I didn't know that what I was doing was, I didn't, I didn't know that what I was doing was hurting my child. I have no idea. That would be a naive alienator. And when they come up to me and they say, that's me, I'm an alienator. I'm doing that. I, you know, I don't say, you know, shame on you. You know, let's, you know, let's, you know, have it, let's, let's fight. No, I tell them that's great. You know, I tell them that's great. It's great that you recognize that. It's great that you can see that. It's great that you are aware that what you are doing is hurting your child and you want to stop because that's what we want. We want it to stop, right? We don't want to shame them and say, you know, how dare you? You're a horrible person. We want to say, okay, this is great that you recognize this. This is great that you want to stop this. And that's what we hope for. So I think you could negotiate with a naive alienator like that. An intentional alienator, mm, if they're doing it intentionally, probably you can't negotiate with them. I would say it depends on if they have a personality disorder. Um, And then now I'm using Dr. Darnall's, you know, terms here, naive, intentional, and obsessed. So the last one, the obsessed alienator would be someone who has probably got a personality disorder, like a narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. And uh, I would say you probably cannot negotiate with them. (laughs) They know what they're doing. They want to do it. They want to destroy you. And you probably are not going to be able to negotiate with them. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't try. I think that, you know, for the sake of your kids, you need to try to work it out with them. But are you going to be able to negotiate something uh, with an obsessed alienator who has a personality disorder? I would say the chances are probably kind of slim. Well, research has shown that some of the ways that parental alienation hurts children is that it causes them to have severe depression, anxiety. They engage in self-harm behaviors like cutting. They often have eating disorders. And they have a lot of trouble with decision-making. 
and with trust issues. And if anyone is listening and they're hearing themselves in these alienating behaviors, maybe you are talking badly about the other parent too, or in front of the kids, or maybe you're not saying anything, but you are making jokes all the time about the other parent. The kind of jokes that lets the kids know that that other parent is a joke and they're not worthy of love and respect. Maybe you are rolling your eyes every time your child mentions the other parent or you're going kind of laughing or sighing, making a noise that lets the kids know that they're not supposed to respect or love the other parent. If you're hearing yourself in those things, I just hope that you'll realize that what you're doing is hurting your child to their very core. You're breaking their heart. And you're not just breaking their heart, but you're hurting their minds. As I said, this causes depression, anxiety, self-harm behaviors, sometimes suicidal thoughts. And these continue on throughout their life. And for alienators, they're not trying to hurt their kids. They're trying to hurt the other parent, but they're using the child as a weapon. And it is hurting their kids. And alienators want to have sole possession, if you will, of the child. And what I wish that alienators understood was that your child has got enough love for both of you. Your child has got enough love for you and the other parent. And what you are losing sight of is that if you allow your child to love the other parent as well, they're going to love you even more. Your child might act like you're the best and you're the only parent I love, but they're only saying that because they have to say that to please you, to get your acceptance. But that's not how they really feel inside. Inside, they're heartbroken. And if you would let them love the other parent too, they would love you even more. And then you wouldn't have to bribe them. You wouldn't have to buy them expensive things to get them to spend time with you or to act like they love you. They would just love you for letting them be themselves and love both of their parents. In line with what you just said, sometimes you are around a child who got alienated or getting alienated by someone that you know. It can be someone in your family or just the daughter or son of your friend. What can one do to help the situation as a friend or a family member? If you know a child that is dealing with alienating behaviors, let's say that you know that one of their parents is talking badly about the other parent to or in front of the child. What I would do is I wouldn't 
come straight out and say to the child, you know, your one parent is lying about your other parent. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But what I would do is I would say positive things about the parent that is on the receiving end of the alienation. I'll give you an example. I know, I know in my case, my ex used to always make fun of my job. I don't know why. I had a good job, but he would make fun of my job to and in front of the kids. That is so weird. Now I'm just curious about what was he doing. <laughs> uh, I was a spa manager and then it was a great job. But it, but alienators often do that. They often make fun of the other parent for things that really nobody else would even make fun of. Um. So let's say you have a, a, you know that one of the parents is talking badly about the other parent who are in front of the kids. And if you know specifically what things the alienating parent is saying, I would give the child some food for thought about the parent that is positive. Let's say, for example, the alienator is making fun of the job that the target parent has. You could say to the child, you know, your mom has got a really cool job. You know, I think her job is really awesome. And also your mom, she does a really good job at work. I heard that all of the customers really love her and her coworkers say that she's awesome. So I would try to in that way, encourage the child's critical thinking skills and say positive things about the other parent. Or maybe say, you know, I saw your dad last week and he is so nice. Your dad is just the nicest guy. Because maybe you know that the mom is saying, you know, oh, his dad is so mean. He's a horrible person. So you could say, you know, I saw your dad. He is so nice. He's so friendly. Anything that you can say to the child that's positive about the target parent. And if you have a real example about that, that the child can kind of confirm, you know, yeah, that's true. You know, mom does have an awesome job. Her job is pretty cool. Or yeah, you know, actually my dad is really nice. I've noticed dad actually has a lot of friends and his friends like him. So if you can say something to the child that's positive about that target parent, that might help to open up their critical thinking, that can be a really great thing to do if you know a child that's dealing with parental alienation. If you have a friend who's being rejected by one of their kids, what can you do as a friend? That is a great question. I love that question. If you have a friend who is being rejected by one of their kids, I would encourage you to... Talk to your friend about it. Don't avoid talking about it. And don't make assumptions about the situation. One really common misconception is that if a child rejects you, you must have done something wrong to cause that. There must be a reason that your child rejected you. So if you've got a friend and it appears that one of their child children is rejecting them, talk to them about it. And say, hey, what's going on? Tell me about this situation. What's going on with you and your son? Or what's going on with you and your daughter? 
and listen to what they have to say. And I would encourage you to learn about parental alienation. If you want to be supportive to them, read Divorce Poison by Dr. Richard Warshak. Read Breaking the Ties That Bind by Dr. Amy Baker. Read some books, look on the internet and learn about parental alienation. And then the other thing I would say is to encourage your friend to join a good support group because you can be a great support person to them by talking with them and listening to them and believing what they say is happening. But it's very important for them to have other people to talk to who have also experienced parental alienation. So I would encourage your friend to get into a really good parental alienation support group. And then another thing, another thing you can do to support your friend is uh, the scenario of if you are a friend to a target parent or an alienated parent, if you're a, fr- a friend to them, if you see that alienated child, please go up and say something to the child. Say something positive about the other parent. Now, don't, don't go up to the child and say, I can't believe you, you're horrible. You know, like, why, why won't, I mean, why won't you see your mom? Why won't you talk to your dad? What's wrong with you? How dare you disrespect them like that? Don't do that. But if you see your friend's child somewhere, go up and say, hey, how are you? You know what? I just, I saw your mom the other day. Your mom is so sweet, you know, and she just loves you so much. She's so proud of you. She was telling me how proud she is of you, right? So go. Don't avoid the child. Definitely talk to the child and tell the child something positive about that target parent. And another thing I would say is if the child is maybe a teenager, I would offer to the child that you could, would be willing to help them communicate with their target parent if they need help. Because a lot of times alienators actually literally block the child from being able to communicate with the other parent. And we have had some families where uh, a friend helped the child to communicate with their target parent. So if if you would be willing to do that, that could really help an alienated child. We do have quite a few spouses of targeted and alienated parents in our support groups. And it's it's very hard on a spouse of a targeted or alienated parent. It's a lot for them to go through, to be married to someone who is dealing with parental alienation. And there are a few things you can do to support your spouse or your partner if they are dealing with parental alienation. I would say one is to be a good listener to really listen to them with empathy and to try to put yourself in their shoes. I know that it can be hard because sometimes they can go into a deep depression and have a lot of anxiety. And if you can just, during those moments, like I said, put yourself in their shoes, 
uh, then hopefully you can have some empathy for what they're feeling at that time. I would say that, uh, again, I would encourage if you're married to someone who is alienated or targeted, I would encourage them to get into a good support group because you can be the best spouse and the best partner in the world uh, and be the most supportive person, but it's they're still going to need more than that. They're going to need to have a good support group with other people who are going through parental alienation as well. And then another thing I would say that will be very, very helpful is to encourage your spouse or your partner to have a balanced life. It's very easy for alienated, targeted parents to uh, become focused 24-7 on alienation. And uh, that can be very, very unhealthy mentally and emotionally. So if you can encourage your spouse to have a balanced life, that's very important. You know, encourage them to get sleep and to eat well and to still do things they enjoy in life, to have hobbies and to exercise and to do things just for fun. So if you do those things, then I think you're really going to be uh, doing a good job in supporting your spouse dealing with parental alienation. And I would I would encourage you to uh, join a support group for yourself as well. And you might need to go to a counselor for yourself as well, because it can be it can be very stressful and very hard on the spouse or, or the, being the partner of an alienated or a targeted parent. Can you explain a bit about your support group and how they help the parents? Well, our support groups are very, very active and very interactive. And I'll tell you a few of the features of our support groups. We have a live support meeting every month. In fact, we just had one (laughs) very recently and uh, we use Zoom. And so we get to see each other and it's, it's such a great experience to have these live support meetings. And it's, it's very, very important. And what we do in our live support meetings is everyone gets an equal amount of time to share, talk about whatever they would like to talk about that's going on with them and parental alienation. And then we let everyone else that's in the meeting have an opportunity to give them feedback and encouragement. Uh, the other thing that we do in our support groups is we have uh, presentations from experts in the field of parental alienation. Uh, This month, our uh, guest presenter is Dr. Amy Baker. And last month, our guest presenter was Dr. William Burnett. Uh, And we've got some more excellent guest speakers coming up this year. And uh, we usually have a, a theme or kind of an assignment that we're working on, but it's always something to improve our lives. And what we encourage everyone to do in our support groups is to live your best life, even though you're dealing with parental alienation. You know, you deserve to be happy and uh, you deserve to still be joyful. And that can really be a struggle for alienated parents. And so that's what we focus on very heavily in our support groups is the support with the live meetings and education with our guest speakers like Dr. Burnett and Dr. Baker. But then we also have ongoing, like I said, themes or assignments, if you will, to keep us encouraged and 
uh, to keep us feeling as good as we can possibly feel. We've got people from all over the world in our support groups. We've got people from, uh, we've got people in the UK. Uh, we've got people all over, everywhere. We enjoy each other. We laugh a lot and uh, we get to know each other. We really bond with each other. Um, it is a private membership group. So if people are interested in learning more about that, they can go to my website. My website is wendyjperry.com. And if they go to the tab that says members only, that's where they can learn more about the members only parental alienation support community. Once they're in the support community, then they've got access to, uh, we've got an online discussion area where they can post and comment as much as they want. Um, they've got access to all of our live support meetings. They have access to all of the presentations that we have, like from Dr. Baker and, and Dr. Burnett. They've got access to all of the features, but it is private. It's not open to the public. So you do have to apply to join. Um, as an alienated parent myself, a few years ago, I felt like this was something that was missing from our parental alienation support world was there wasn't a support group that, first of all, was really private. And then second of all, that had live meetings, support meetings. And then also that was really positive. Um, if you look around online and you find parental alienation groups, for example, on Facebook, what you'll find is there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of people just venting and commiserating um, and it's not really productive. It's not really moving them in a direction to where they're going to feel encouraged or feel better. And I needed that as an alienated parent myself. I thought, you know, I want to get online and go somewhere that I can feel uplifted and encouraged and positive, not always negative. You know, I want to feel better, not worse. And so uh, I really thought, you know, if I, if I know I need this, I know other parents need this as well. And uh, it wasn't out there. So I just decided to, to create it. And it, we've got a great group of parents, grandparents. We also have some uh, spouses, some step parents who are married to alienated parents. Um, we've had uh, aunts and uncles. So we've, it's, it's a really diverse group. And it's, uh, some people are, have been alienated for a very, very, very long time. Uh, like myself, I've been alienated for 12 years now. Um, but some of them are just in the very, very early stages of alienation. And what we have found is that it's really great to have that diversity, because especially for those who are on the very early uh, end of it, because they can learn from all of us who have been alienated for a long time. Um, and I always feel encouraged when someone joins the support group and they still have contact with their kids. They're not fully alienated, uh, but they are aware that this is happening and they don't want it to get worse. And that's our opportunity for us, you know, senior people to say, okay, we want to help you so that it doesn't progress. It doesn't get worse. Um, so we've, we've really... Um, we really like that in our support group, having people that are at different stages of alienation so that we can 
you know, help each other out and especially help those people who, if they're just in the beginning, you know, if, if you get the right kind of support and the right kind of encouragement, then you can hopefully stop it from getting worse and hopefully reverse it and get back to having a good relationship with your kids. And, you know, it's like I said, a lot of the groups that are out there, I think their intentions are good, but they're really just places where people uh, vent and commiserate and they're very, very negative. And venting is good. We all need to vent sometimes and we need to know we're not alone. Um, But I think for alienated parents, it's really important that, that we move beyond that and that we get to where we encourage each other to not give up. And we don't just complain and vent and commiserate all the time, but we get education. Uh, We get these educational presentations from top experts. And we really learn how to keep living a good life and to be as happy as possible, even though we're dealing with parental alienation. Because as I said, alienated parents deserve to be happy. Um, If you are alienated due to parental alienation, it's not your fault. And you deserve to be as happy as you can be and to still have a joyful and balanced life. And that's what I want my support groups to do. I want them to encourage people, keep them feeling encouraged and uh, give them ways to have a, a balanced life and to still have some joy in their lives. Since you have communicated, helped, assisted and worked with a lot of alienated parents, I am interested to know what do you think the lawmakers and the policymakers can do to help stop these situations from happening? That's a big question. And one that is debated a lot is <laughs> what laws could we have that could stop or prevent parental alienation? And a few things come to mind with that. And one thing is that Unfortunately, no law is going to cure anyone of a personality disorder. And as I shared in my story, I actually had 50-50 equal custody when my daughter was totally alienated from me. So there are a lot of people who believe that if we uh, have 50-50 equal custody as the law or mandated, that that will prevent parental alienation. It might prevent some of it, but if you're dealing with an obsessed alienator who has a personality disorder, they're going to try to alienate you from your kids regardless of a law and regardless of how much of a percentage of parenting time they have. I think that as far as laws go, Having custody schedule enforcement laws is probably the most important and the biggest legal prevention that we can have. I live in Texas, and here in Texas, we have a law. It's Texas Penal Code 25.03. Uh, The title of it is Interference with Child Custody. And what it says is that 
If you interfere with child custody, if you withhold the child from the other parent, then that is a felony and you can pay a large fine and or you can go to jail. So it's a very serious, actual, literal crime here in Texas to withhold your child from the other parent in violation of the court-ordered custody schedule. However, (laughs) the law is very rarely enforced. And that's the problem. I think if we had a law like that everywhere, I'm talking worldwide, um, laws like that to enforce the custody schedules, uh, I think that that could be a good prevention. Uh, If not prevention, then a remedy. But The thing is, is that it's not enough to just have the law. It must be enforced. And that's the problem we have here is we have the law, but the law is not enforced. As I shared before, my ex violated Texas Penal Code 25.03, interference with child custody 16 times. But there was absolutely no consequence for that. So we have to have those laws, but we also have to have them enforced. And uh, that's a real problem. And I'm not really sure uh, how to uh, get everyone on board with that. Now here in Texas, we've got an amazing group of advocates who that is what they work on full time. They, they are working on the enforcement of um, that law here in Texas. We've got the law, we need it enforced. Uh, So I think that to answer your question about what laws can be done, what legal uh, remedies can there be, I think enforcement of court-ordered custody schedules, I think would be the biggest, most important thing that we could do. And and I do believe that 50-50 equal custody is good, and I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, I think it's just common sense. If you ask a kid, A kid will tell you, yeah, I want to see both of my parents the same amount of time. That's just fair. In fact, that's what our kids said to us when we said we were were getting a divorce. They said, well, we want 50-50 equal custody. We want to be with both of you the same amount of time because that's fair. Kids know what's fair. Uh, So I do believe in 50-50 equal custody. I do think it's the right thing to do. Uh, But again, I don't think that that's probably going to Uh, detour someone from engaging in parental alienation who has a personality disorder or is an obsessed alienator. I think we need to have laws that uh, are enforced to keep people in compliance with the court-ordered custody schedules. If anyone is not familiar with how family court really works, you've got to watch the documentary Divorce Corp. Um, My story was told in that documentary and several other stories as well. And unfortunately, what happened in my case is not uncommon. We went to court and as I said, we had 50-50 equal custody. Um, My ex had violated the court orders 16 times for almost a year. And I had not done anything wrong. There were no abuse allegations against me ever. In fact, my ex testified that I was a great mom and I never did anything wrong. (laughs) So he was one of my best witnesses. Um, 
but still, um, but still, uh, during, uh, the court process, I lost most of my custody and I ended up uh, being the first third and fifth weekend parent. And I ended up having to pay him a large amount of child support when he literally made 10 times more than I did. So our family court system is very, very, very broken. Um, and family court here in the U.S., it is just a free-for-all. Um, there's not a real process um, and there's uh, not um, measures to show that, you know, it, it's just hearsay, you know, it's just implied. It's implied that one parent is a good parent and one parent is a bad parent. And, um, and decisions are made based on those implications, not on any evidence. Decisions are made that, that can really devastate children. And so, you know, I, we need to have some very serious family court reform. And to the, to the question that you ask me, can fam, going to family court end up being a, a really detrimental experience? It, it, it can be, it can be. And that's not to say that it is all the time, um, but it, it is something for people to be very aware of. Um, if you are in the very beginning stages of what you think is parental alienation right now, and you are considering going to court, uh, I would, first, I would watch Divorce Corp. And then secondly, I would talk to people who have been through the experience um, and ask them their opinion. And you need to take some things into account. You know, can you afford it financially? How old are your kids? You know, are your kids turning 18 next week? Well, if your kids are turning 18 next week, you don't don't go to court, you know, because next next week it's going to be irrelevant. Uh, there are some definitely some things to consider. But I also would uh, warn people, don't rely on the court to fix this. If you're, I, I hear this all the time. I hear parents say, um, my ex is alienating my kids from me, so I'm going to take him to court. That is not a good assumption that the court is going to fix this problem um, because many, many times the family court system does not fix it and sometimes it makes it worse. And I'm not saying that to, to scare anyone or to sound really negative, but I think it's something that people really need to be aware of, um, that you really need to stop and consider if going through the family court process is the right thing for your family if you're dealing with parental alienation. You mentioned just now that stopping or preventing it even before it happens, it's a way smarter proof. I do agree with that, but I'm wondering how to go about having that conversation. As I can definitely imagine so many ways that it can go wrong. Like people can assume that you are accusing them. People can assume that you are gaslighting them, you know, a lot of ways that it can go wrong. So what is your advice when it comes to doing it right? That is a tough situation to try to talk to your ex if you think that they are engaging in alienating behaviors. But as hard as it would be to do, if you are in communication with your ex and you are seeing early signs of possible alienation, I would definitely sit down and have a talk with your ex. It will be awkward. It could potentially be a very negative conversation, but 
you need to do it in the early stages. And hopefully, if you present the information in a way that's not accusatory, hopefully your ex will be just one of the naive alienators that we spoke about earlier. And it will educate them enough and open their eyes enough that they will say, whoa, I didn't know about this. I didn't realize what this was doing to our child. And I would approach it in a way, if you were going to have this conversation with your ex in the early stages of possible alienating behaviors, I would approach it in the way that I want to talk about us and both of us and both of our behaviors and how we both need to not do this. So I wouldn't point the finger and say, I think you're doing this. You know, you're an alienator. Read this about alienation. I wouldn't do that because you're going to put them on the defense and that's not going to have the result that you're looking for. I would say, you know, I just learned about this thing and I I think that you and I should talk about it. I want to talk I want to talk about us being good co-parents and co-parenting. Um and I would make it a we, a we conversation. We need to not do these things. We need to co-parent. Here is what co-parenting means. Um, but you really want to set the tone that you're not accusing them of something. This is something that you want you and them to do together for the sake of your child. Uh, and as I said, you know, I know that would be a really hard conversation to have, uh, but the sooner the better. And really, honestly, this is a conversation that everyone should have um, if they decide to get a divorce. Before the divorce is final, this is a conversation that, you know, if you have kids and even if you think, oh, that could never happen to us. Oh, gosh, we, you know, yes, we're we're splitting up, but we're going to co-parent, you know, uh, you still, I think every couple who is going to separate, if you have kids, you need to have this conversation with each other. You need to say, you know, like right now, right now, I know we're in a pretty amicable place. And I feel confident that neither one of us would do this, but we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what is co-parenting. What does that mean? What do we need to do so that our child is mentally and emotionally healthy and happy? And, and what, is, what is this thing called parental alienation? Let's look at this list. Hey, I brought this article from Dr. Richard Warshak. He's a great expert I heard about. Let's look at this list of things that we should not do. You know, I think that that is a conversation that everyone needs to have when they are separating, when they are heading towards a divorce if they have kids. And I, we spoke a little while ago about family court. And uh, perhaps that's something that needs to be uh, put into the family court system because I, I'm totally aware most people are not going to do this on their own, you know? Um, so maybe this is something that we could have as part of family court reform is to say, you know, no, no divorce with kids can be final, 
until the parents sit down and have this conversation and work out a co-parenting plan. And that is part of the final divorce decree. What are some of the resources that you recommend to parents who would like to know more about parental alienation? Oh gosh, there's so many good things right now. Um, well, a couple of things that I always recommend to parents when they reach out to me is, um, again, to read uh, Divorce Poison. Divorce Poison by Dr. Richard Warshak. That is a classic parental alienation guide. Um, and Breaking the Ties That Bind, Children of um, Parental Alienation by Dr. Amy Baker. Uh, I also would recommend uh, any information that you can find from Dr. Douglas Darnall. You can uh, Google a lot of this and find a lot of this online. Um, I would also um, encourage parents to not just read books about parental alienation specifically, but any books that uh, or websites that help you feel uplifted and encouraged and mentally uh, and emotionally more uh, resilient and stronger. Um, for example, I love um, Dr. Wayne Dyer. I love his books and I, I find him to be very motivational and very encouraging. And um, so I'm usually reading some of his, one of his books right now I'm reading actually, it's got little, um, you know, just little things to start your day with in a positive way. Um, I also like um, Joyce Myers. She's a, you know, she's a, actually a, a faith-based uh, person. But so not just books and uh, things online that are specifically about parental alienation, but anything that, again, makes you feel stronger, more encouraged, more uplifted, and helps improve your mental and emotional state of mind. Years ago, I had a high school contact me, and they have a student uh, school newspaper, and they uh, one of the students wanted to interview me for the student newspaper. And I felt like this was a really, really important opportunity to get to talk with the kids because in all of this, the kids, unfortunately, are, uh, they don't have a lot of resources. We've got support groups for the parents and grandparents, but we don't have a lot of resources for the kids. And so I spoke with Dr. Warshak about this opportunity and he helped me write an article uh, that has got uh, ways kids can protect themselves from becoming alienated and from being put in the middle. And so if anyone wants to contact me, I'm happy to send them that article uh, that I wrote that is for kids. It's directed, written for kids. Um, other resources for kids, one that I think is really, really excellent is uh, online. You can find um, someone who goes by the name of Kid of PAS. Her name is Crystal Shivers. She was an alienated child uh, for most of her life. And she has got a Facebook and uh, I think she's on a few other social media platforms as well. Uh, but she's very transparent about her journey through parental alienation. And uh, she's a great resource. So again, that's Kid of PAS Crystal Shivers. So if any 
kids are watching, uh, I would connect with Crystal on social media. And I want to mention something too, that when we say children of parental alienation, we're talking about kids of any age. Anyone can be an alienated child of any age. My alienated daughter is 31 years old. Um, So when we say alienated children, we're talking about children of any age. And that's really important to, to point out. A lot of people have trouble understanding that. Um, But parental alienation is a form of abuse and alienated children are in an abusive relationship. And as we know, there's no age limit to anyone being in an abusive relationship. So that's what I want people to understand is that as long as a child is under the control and manipulation of an alienator, they can remain alienated. And so you might know a child who seems to reject a parent, and this child might be 30 or 40 years old. And so you think, well, they're not alienated. They're 30 years old. They're 40 years old. Um, They're they're choosing to reject the other parent. Um, But if you look a little deeper into the dynamics, many times you'll discover that it is alienation. That child, even if they're 30 or 40, they're still under the control and manipulation of the alienating parent. And that's a really important thing for people to, to learn and understand about parental alienation. I had an interesting conversation with Dr. Harmon in one of our recent episodes, and she mentioned that parental alienation is child abuse. And I absolutely agree with that. What else do you think we can do to make sure that the children out there get informed about alienation and understand that it might be happening to them? In other words, how do we bring awareness to kids and teenagers about these type of abuse? I listened, I listened to her interview with you, and that was great. And I was going to tell you, I love your podcast, by the way. I forgot to tell you that earlier. You know, I was going to mention also that I think it's really important that we get education about parental alienation into the school systems. And I have gone through the process and become certified by the Texas Education Agency to do training for school counselors, school teachers, and school administrators on the subject of parental alienation. The reason I think it's important to get education about parental alienation into the schools is that if you look, if you look through the textbooks for schools in classes like psychology classes and family dynamic classes, things like that, they talk about divorce. They talk about mental illness. They talk about personality disorders. They talk about conflicts and conflict resolution. Uh, They also talk about all different forms of abuse. And so it would be very simple to add a segment uh, about parental alienation into this already existing information that is in schools. When you're talking about different forms of abuse, you could list parental alienation as one of the forms of abuse. When you talk about divorce, you could talk about that this dynamic could happen. So we could easily 
put this education into schools at age appropriate levels. Of course, the older the kids, the more in detail you could get. Uh, But I think something that's really, we really need to do is empower kids and teach kids these skills they can use to, first of all, know about alienating behaviors. And then secondly, to know what to do. Well, what do I do when my dad says bad things to me about my mom? Or what do I do when my mom tells me, tell your dad you don't want to see him anymore? What do I do? Um, We're really doing our, our kids a great disservice by not teaching them these skills. And we teach them other skills. We teach them about stranger danger and you know, stop, drop, and roll if your clothes catch on fire. I mean, we teach them all these things to do to protect themselves. And we teach them ways to recognize that they might be in danger. So we're really failing our kids that we're not being proactive uh, and teaching them about parental alienation, about the signs, and about what, what can you do if one of your parents is doing this. and. You know, it's sadly, it's very, very common. You know, a lot of kids in school, uh, their parents are divorced or sadly, they are going to get divorced. So why should we not teach our kids about this? Um, Not just so they can help themselves if they encounter this, but we're talking about the future generations, right? These kids are gonna come out of school and get married and have families. And what we want to happen is, when they have families, they're already aware of alienation and they're already aware that if they do this, it's a form of child abuse and that they will be abusing and harming their kids. And so we want them to already be educated about it so that they know, well, I'm not gonna abuse my kids in that way when I'm an adult and when I have kids. So I think for many reasons, it's very, very, very important that we get this education into the school systems. And the kids know about it already. I know because I've gone into the high schools and talked to the kids and they know about it and they talk to their friends about it. So if there is information in the school about it, they're not going to be shocked. (laughs) They're not going to say, well, I've never heard of this. They know, they see it. They've got friends who are going through this or they're going through it themselves. Uh, Recently, a group of us uh, did a little uh, seminar at a college, and uh, there were about a hundred college students in the room. And we first of all explained to them what parental alienation was, and we asked them to raise their hand if they had experienced parental alienation. And uh, at least half of the kids in the room raised their hands, and uh, some of the kids were crying. And we. Had, And we had a few of the kids come up to us afterwards and said, I wish that someone had come in and given me this presentation sooner when I was younger so I would have known what to do. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And I will definitely include the links for your support group so that our listeners can join and benefit from them. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, and something that I really want people to know is that Parental alienation can happen to anyone. It really can. And uh, so it's very important for people to know that, that, that 
someone can be the most amazing parent in the world and they can still become alienated due to parental alienation. It's not about them. And uh, it really can't happen to anyone. And I think that's why one of the many reasons why we need to get this education out there to everyone. We need everyone to understand what parental alienation is and that it can happen to anyone. Thank you again, Wendy, for the conversation. You can find all the links, resources, books mentioned in this episode in the show notes. I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor, or if you happen to have difficulty in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable and ask them for further clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments regarding Find My Parent or this interview or this podcast, you can mail me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent or your own children and would like to find them again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. Alright folks, that's it for this week. Talk to you all next week. Take care till then.